0: Well, happy St. Pat's Day. see a few of you in green. Uh, I heard as I was coming in from someone in our congregation said, um, down with shamrocks, up with real rocks. Um, That's kind of how I reacted, so I thought I'd give you the same reaction. Uh, We're really excited. Uh, I just, I love having, this morning has been really fun. First to see of our worship leaders up here and musicians, three of them have come through our middle school and high school ministry, and God has just kind of birthed that and sent people out from our ministry, and it's just a wonderful thing to see that. And then to have Sai stand up here, who is our intern to our Chinese ministry, and the work that God is doing through the Chinese ministry and through Sai, I just am so grateful for for how God has just, you know, taken this and given us this great responsibility of loving these students. I want to ask you in a moment to stand, but just set up the fact that we're in John, we're in these signs, we're looking at the seven signs that occur, that John says occur within his gospel, and he he doesn't have a, a myriad of miracles. He comments on them. He begins um, the ministry and he shares this ministry of Jesus where Jesus goes to where John the Baptist is baptizing. Jesus picks up five disciples, followers. Those followers come with him to a wedding in Cana. He's in Cana where he does the first sign. And then he goes to Jerusalem. They're at a festival, clears the temple, does all kinds of signs and all kinds of miracles, comes back and on his way through, decides to go through Samaria, stops with a woman who's at the well makes his way all the way back to Cana and that's where we pick up this second sign. So I'm going to ask you to stand as we read the scripture. I do this, um, one, to get you moving. <laughs> Secondly, more importantly, uh, just for us to just realize this is the word of God. For centuries, people have stood in honor. You know, you say when, when the judge comes in, all rise. Well, in a sense, as we hear the word of God, let us hear these words, beginning in verse 43. After the two days he left for Galilee, now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick, At Capernaum. And when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you'll never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go replied Jesus, your son will live. And the man took him at his word and departed. And while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. And when he inquired, as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. I'm just going to point out, if you are reading from the most current New International Version, I'm reading from the 1984, the most current one, um, says yesterday at one in the afternoon the fever left him, which is nice because it helps us understand time the way we measure it. But it loses a bit of John's significance in signs because he's making a point that it was the seventh hour, somewhere of that to come. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole family and household believed this was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. This is a story all about faith. What do you believe? Who do you believe? How do you believe? What do you need to believe? And so we're going to kind of move into that. Father, we just pile before you in your presence, and standing here, we say, God, um, every one of us can get so distracted and so busy. We can get so into ourselves, and and we can sometimes just want to rush through things. But would you just settle our hearts for a few moments here? And allow for your Holy Spirit, Uh, may we have humble, receptive hearts, speak to us about important things with regard to what it means to live for you, to follow you, to be one who lives in your kingdom. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Before you're seated, I want you to think for a second. If you have a friend that, that you would go, do I have a friend that I go, I believe what they say and I put confidence in them is there someone that comes to mind you go boy this is a person i just know when they speak they speak truth and i know that i can put confidence in them okay go ahead and be seated turn to someone and tell them the name of that friend or at least just share with them who that friend is and it better be your spouse no i'm just kidding just kidding can't be your spouse we don't want to get you in trouble Okay, let's begin in verse 41. I'm going to just walk us through some things and get to a point where we start talking about some specific, what I would just call some teaching points. And so if you look at verse 41, it says, after the two days he left for Galilee, that's in reference to his having stayed two days in Samaria. Just before those verses that we're reading here in verse 39 through 42, it says many of the Samaritans, after this, after Jesus had met with this woman at the well, uh, many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything that I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him, and he stayed two days. So after those two days. And because of his words, many More became believers. So pay attention to this whole thing because John is talking about belief throughout his whole gospel. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and now we know that this man, here's Samaritans, this man is truly, he really is the savior of the world. Those in Samaria believed on the woman's testimony. She basically said, "Here, I I came. The prophet, he's here. He's told me everything I ever did." Which the apostle Paul, because here is Jesus, he's not doing a what I call a miracle as much as he has what Paul calls in First Corinthians a word of knowledge. This is some of the translations say a message. It's really a word. It's an understanding of something that you should have no knowledge about of another person, and and it's a kind of idea that you um, have the ability to know something about the very secrets of their heart. And that's, that is a gift, a spiritual gift. Because at one point, Jesus says, go call your husband. And she says, I have no husband. He goes in, in chapter 4, 16 through 17. He says, you're right. <clears throat> in fact, you've had five, and you're now living with the sixth. And, and basically, is saying to her, he's in a sense the seventh. He says, if you want to find love, find, find that fulfillment and that peace in the arms of your Father, your God in heaven, who's made you. Let him, in a sense, be the one who completes you. And so on the basis of this, she believes, says verse 41, <clears throat> and many more became believers because of his words. <clears throat> and John makes it a point to tell us that these Samaritans who are despised, it's not the kosher Jews, the ones you would think. He tells us, they're the ones who see him as the Savior of the world. Verse forty-four. Then he makes this little parenthetical phrase. You see the parentheses here. It shows that if you have NIV or some other versions, he says, "Now Jesus had himself pointed out that a prophet is no honor in his own country." So he's continuing to kind of drill down here. He's basically saying those who were most familiar, those closest, those who were his own, they did not believe him, and they didn't even honor him. If you've been a part of this Easter Bible reading challenge, where you've been saying read through John, you should be at a certain point, I think chapter six, but if you remember back in chapter one, <clears throat> John is actually hearkening back to something he said in verse 10 and 11 of chapter one, Jesus was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him, And Jesus pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. He's just not recognized. Verse 45. And when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Oh, man, this seems like it's good now. They are being welcoming to him. They're receptive to Jesus coming in. But then he says they had all seen. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival. For they had also been there. Word had spread. After Jesus had turned the water into wine in Cana, he goes to Jerusalem, he he clears the temple, even that's kind of a sign because we're told by John that he's, he quotes Psalm 69 9 that says, zeal for your house will consume me, and now the Galileans welcome him, and They do so on the basis because they're excited because this miracle worker has come to his town. You know, it's possible to receive and welcome someone in your presence but not believe in them and put confidence in them. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem. And I think what John is noting is our tendency for every one of us, I I know what it's like, I I really want the fix-it Jesus in my life, right? Sure, come in, just fix it, make it better. We want what I call the amaze me Jesus, not the save me Jesus who demands my life and my all. We want the Jesus who will join my story. You know, Jesus, I am kind of have my plans. I'm going this way. And if you can come in from time to time to help kind of just get me there, great. And not necessarily the Jesus where I go, Jesus, here's my life. What's, 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 what's the story you want to write out of my life? So you come to verses 45 through 46 to 47 and he says once more he visited Cana in Galilee where he had turned water into wine and there was a certain royal fisher whose son lay sick at Capernaum and when the man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea he went to him begged him to come heal his son who was close to death so the first sign was performed where Be bold. Cana. Second sign is performed where? Cana. But where does it occur? Capernaum, 20 miles away. This guy, this royal official, many who believe he was probably a part of, um, connected to Herod. Because King Herod ruled over that region. He probably had some kind of regional authority coming from Capernaum, a very busy commercial center, and so he was kind of st- situated there. He is this royal official whose son is near death. And I think it's amazing when I think about it, because I know as a father and now as a grandfather, when it comes to your kids, and you see them ill, and you see they're close to death, You'll probably do anything you can to help them find some healing or help or treatment. This guy said, forget about work. I don't care about King Herod. I don't care if I miss some money. In fact, I will spend whatever money I have and I'm going to travel 20 miles. Because he hears that Jesus has come into Galilee. He hears in Cana. And he just goes ahead. I'm trekking there to get him. Doesn't bring his son. Goes if I can get this guy. I will pay him. I'll do whatever is necessary. To get him to come to my son. Who's close to death. And what the word is really interesting. It wasn't kind of like he said. Jesus would you do me a favor. The word used is begged. This royal official comes before this rabbi, probably falls on his knees in this posture of begging. Now what I find is interesting, I, I lead a couple of groups, guys' groups and we go through the Gospel of Mark as often one night I take guys' groups through. And what's interesting, if you read through Mark and you just underline how many times people came to Jesus in need begging, they plead in one occasion Mark tells us they begged for him to leave because he was costing money but you see this this idea of begging is this posture of wanting God and you find throughout scripture God Jesus goes where he's really wanted and you can tell what a person wants the reason you you don't fulfill a diet that you start in January is because what you usually want something more right The the reason so often when we talk about we really want an intimate marriage and the reason we don't begin to move towards that and actually see that happen five, ten years down the road is because we really want something more. Same way with saving money. You may say, I really want to save some money for a certain point or something, but you just want something more. Sometimes in people's lives, they come to a place where they go, God, I want you more than anything in my life. It doesn't even have to be your life is bad, but your, your spirit, your heart is just crying out, saying, I want more of you, God. I just want more of you. And then look at verse 48. After this guy begs, implores for him to come, Jesus makes this interesting statement. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. Who's he speaking to? He's not speaking to the royal official. He's speaking to the Galileans who welcomed him. He's speaking to the heart that says, amaze me, Jesus, but don't save me. Jesus, I believe you can do a lot of things, but just stay within your lane, and I'll stay in mine. Every once in a while, I'll have you cross over into my lane, but you know. The royal official makes this request, and Jesus laments what most people, including me, including you, really want is their own personal miracle worker, or fix it. We want God with deep pockets, right? So I'm going to share with you a number of things that come out of this because these words are really important when we look at John's gospel because John's gospel is about signs. or are about all kinds of little signs he tucks in there, but he has seven major signs. And the purpose of signs, the purpose of miracles are to point us towards God so we can see how how God really can help us. And so when you go through this passage of Scripture, you'll see that. But before we do that, look at John chapter 20, verse 30 through 31. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. In fact, John at one point says he did so many, you couldn't contain him in a book. He says, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe. That's the purpose of a sign, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you will have life in his name. That you will find confidence in him. Remember I talked about you have a friend who's a friend. You think about someone, you just know their word is true and you can put your confidence in them. That's what he's wanting you to do is to know that Jesus' word is true and that you can place your confidence in him. So the first thing I want to just share with you is Jesus is not opposed to signs and wonders. uh, There are some people who believe that signs and wonders were only for a certain dispensation they were a work of God at a particular time when Jesus was around and, and when the apostles were around, and, and, and then when that happened, that kind of ended. And they actually believe verses like this reveal God's attitude towards toward signs and wonders. Kind of like, you know what? This is all so frustrating. I just wish you would believe me. I also realize that some really get nervous when we talk about signs and wonders. Some of you may come from traditions. Go, oh no, signs and wonders. When we start talking about that, people start doing kooky things, right? And there is some pretty kooky stuff out there. That's why it calls for discernment. Yet throughout the Bible, God works in some pretty kooky ways, right? Ways you wouldn't think of, and so did Jesus. Can you imagine his brothers and his cousins as they sit at that wedding and they see the water change to wine? They're probably thinking in their mind, what a show-off. How did he pull off that trick? because they didn't believe him remember his own even his own family they didn't believe him i'm wondering their mind they're going what was that about signs that jesus do he just wants us to know as you see to read through john the reason john uses signs is because god's not opposed to him if you read the life of jesus you'll see that jesus loved meeting the needs of people through signs and wonders Verse 45, they welcome because they'd seen all that he'd done in Jerusalem. Let's go back to John chapter 2, verse 23 and verse 24. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not trust himself to them for he knew all people's hearts. He, he understood that our hearts were kind of, show me another miracle, do this for me, fix it for me. And Jesus knew. He knew that we'd be attracted to what he could do for us and what and who he truly was. But it still doesn't mean that he wanted to do them. He loves doing that. Jesus loves doing signs and miracles. I think you have to understand why this is. Signs and wonders are not an exception in the kingdom of God. Just understand that signs and wonders, when you move into the kingdom of God, is not an exception. God doesn't oppose them. What God is against, really, is our selfish desire to amaze me rather than save me. But you need to know that when you believe and you begin to follow Jesus and you begin to listen to the promptings of his spirit, you will find as you walk in that 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 God will show up in your life for other people's sakes often and will do signs that will point them to God. It's just a natural, it's a natural part of the kingdom of God. I shared with you last week that I um, took a flight to Florida because our our Elder Chairman Bob Kleinschmidt um, had the stroke and, and I, I remember going down there and I remember when I first heard of it at like 5, like 20 or 30 in the morning, my heart immediately, I just opened my heart, it immediately said, go, you need to go. And I thought, okay, I know what flights somewhat down to that area and the times they leave. So I thought I'll go to my guys group and on my way to the guys group, I just called uh, Delta and I just asked for flight times and when I heard the cost of the flights being twice or more than what I thought they would be, I began to doubt. And I sit down with the guys and they share, yeah, you should go. And even one guy stepped aside with, as I was leaving and really encouraged me and said, you know what, I'm, I'll pick up half of it. But in my heart, my spirit, I said, no, don't do that because something just in me didn't feel like, yes, I should say yes to that. I said, just hold on to it. So I go down there. I do what I believe God wants me to do. I fly home. And on my drive home, so this happens on Monday morning, I'm driving home Wednesday afternoon to come back for the Ash Wednesday service, and I get a phone call from someone who had attended this church seven years ago who's living down south now. And I answer the phone and the person goes, "Yeah," and just a little chit-chat, and then says, guess what, I'd like to send some money. And this guy doesn't send like $500. He said, I'd like to send some money to church. And then he said this, but I want to make sure that you designate it where you think it needs to go. And I just thought to myself, here I am questioning whether to go when the voice of God said to. And a couple days later, on the way home, someone calls me and says, I'd like to give some money to make that happen. Didn't even know. I didn't even tell them about where it was going. Because right away I knew in my mind where we would spend that money. And that would be for um, a staff trip to Hawaii. Uh, <laughs> And then maybe cover the air for anyway. <laughs> Coincidence or sign? That's a sign. That's God saying to me, Kevin, when I prompt you and I tell you I want to do something, I'm gonna provide. I'm gonna I'm gonna be about it. Think about it. Here's what I want you to know God is naturally supernatural. This is the realm in which He lives. He doesn't know the distinction. Jesus was naturally supernatural. It's the kingdom he brought. And it's the kingdom, that he said, is near us and all around us and ready to break through whenever the spirit desires, whenever the spirit has something to do, whenever the spirit begins to prompt us. And and the spirit is saying, it's not a big deal. Because you live with a God who is naturally supernatural. But I think so often we don't expect it. We don't even, often we don't even test them in faith. Second thing I want to share is signs and wonders are experienced where there is faith. One of the saddest passages found in scripture is found in Mark 6. If you look at verse um, 44 here of chapter 4 that we're looking at, this parenthetical phrase is really a comment on this story in Mark 6 or what really happened John knew about Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. My guess is that he had come through, possibly come through Samaria, maybe went to Nazareth and then to Cana. Or at some point had been in Nazareth and John is recalling this. Listen to what Mark chapter 6 verses 4 and 5 say. Jesus is preaching in his local synagogue. In Nazareth, they're amazed. They even say, what's this wisdom that he's given to him? That he even does miracles. He just seems to be so naturally supernatural. Isn't this the carpenter's son? I think we know who this guy is. He's one of our own. And then Mark makes a statement, and they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. Here's the words that I think are so sad. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Science of spiritual experience where there's faith. And note this. In an environment where there isn't faith, even Jesus is limited to do what he can do. So why do you think sometimes churches don't experience much of God's, what I call natural supernaturalness? Maybe it's, maybe it's our, our own environment of lack of faith and trust. Maybe you just didn't know that Jesus told us that when you have faith you will begin to see some of the things that just are remarkable. If you look at verses 49 through 50, listen, the royal official says, sir, come down before my child dies. He isn't let up. Jesus kind of makes this little statement and this comment and, 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 and here is faith expressing itself. But yes, I just heard what you said, but I'm not giving up. I want you more than anything in my life because I have a child that I dearly love. Go, Jesus, replied. Your son will live. And the man took Jesus at his word and departed. I love that. Say it with me. The man took Jesus at his word. Try it again. Say it so it gets. The man took Jesus at his word. Last week, Mary said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. This man takes Jesus at his word. Because if the God, God's spirit says it, believe it. Am I hurt? I heard Kevin Go. Believe it. Now I know here, I just have to say people are going to probably be a little bit nervous. But what if you do it and you're wrong? Anybody worry about that? Well, guess what? You'll get it wrong from time to time. It's just a reality. So did the disciples. That's why at times, you guys. Do you know what the word disciple literally means the best translation for, for us? It meant Learner. A disciple was not just a follower. He was was a learner who learned what Jesus knew and and did what Jesus did. Go throughout the whole world, Jesus said, and as you live, make learners of me. That, That kind of changes that word a little bit. Learning means you'll get it wrong. You'll fall. You'll fail to discern God's voice from time to time. Sometimes you'll have a hard time. Is this my own desire? Or is this God's prompting? You'll have trouble hearing at times the gracious, quiet, just voice of the spirit. Because you'll have a voice of an authority that stands over you, maybe condemning. I mean, it's just, it's it's part of the learning, growing process. In fact... Learning to walk in the Spirit and understanding the Spirit's voice and, and moving according to his prompting is just walking. How many of you, just how many of you, when you were just a toddler, walked without ever falling and your parents were amazed? Raise your hand. Okay, how many have raised kids that did that? Grandkids. Are you? No one? And yet when we talk about what it means to walk into the kingdom of God, to learn how to walk in that, we either have to do it correctly or we don't. And probably what holds us back more than anything is we're just afraid to fail. You only walk by taking risks. You learn to walk by listening as best you can and then following that voice of Jesus in your heart. And here's the things that help guide you. You don't have your parents with, oh, steady you. You have other believers who have the spirit of God who can speak into your life. Or at least you should be in community. That's why we talk about having people in small groups. Where people are in a place where they go, you know, this is what I'm sensing. What should I do? I have to tell you how important it was for me that Monday morning to go to a group of guys. Guys that I'm supposed to be mentoring. And they're mentoring me. That's just the way it works. We actually mentor one another all the time if we walk in the spirit together. So you have other people who, believe, who, who are believers who hear and discern the voice of God. You have the word of God that keeps you from doing stupid, silly, immoral things. And, and my prayer is for many of you that you are a person who has a mentor around you who hears the voice of God who has learned to discern it and they can speak in your life. Signs and wonders are naturally supernatural in the kingdom of God, but they require faith. Imagine a church community like ours that did whatever it takes and did whatever Jesus asked them to do. Imagine a church community that took Jesus at his word. Jesus spoke to your heart and then you departed and left out of here and you did things Jesus was beginning to prompt you to do. Folks, the world would change. It's not about having more evangelistic classes. or or It's all about the Spirit of God moving through us, touching people's hearts. It's not necessarily seeing what I call outlandish miracles. Some of the greatest miracles are the character changes that take place in your own life. In fact, for me, I know that's the greatest miracle. Just ask my wife. Sorry, I didn't mean to get you into this. I didn't even plan that, but did you want to say anything? I wouldn't let you. Okay. (laughs) On this one, real quick. Jesus wants humble faith and not proudful, prove it attitude. That's what he wants from you more than anything. I really want you, God, in my life, and I will humbly... I'll set aside trying to be right I'll set aside trying to do it my way I'll set aside trying to be the know-it-all I'll set aside whatever gets in your way I'll set aside if, if I've offended someone God I want to I walk in forgiveness I'm just I'm a person who, who walks and falls and I fall sometimes and stumble on others I just want to live in the environment you've called me to live in I want to be obedient to you I want to walk humbly with you I, I'm done with being prove it to me God prove it to me if you go back to John chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. Jesus cleanses the temple. He's been teaching. We're told that he's actually performed miracles. And the religious leaders are still around him, and they're asking for a sign. Listen to what it says. Then the Jews demanded of him. And, and when he says the Jews, he's using this. John is using this as the religious establishment, Okay. He's, he's speaking specifically. That, that was a pretty common term for the religious establishment. What miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And Jesus just answered him, Destroy this temple. They're standing in the temple grounds. And I will raise it in three days, which it took 46 years or so to build. And they're going... Phew. Well, they can't discern and understand he's saying this temple because this was the new temple that would be the presence of God, Jesus. And this presence of God, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit would then be given to us and we'd be the new temples. This isn't the temple, this building. It's you. You house the Spirit of God. So he says to him, guess what? You take this temple, not that temple. That will be destroyed but never be raised again. But destroy this temple in the three days. Watch it rise from the dead He did that out of grace because he wanted them to know that when it happened, they would have proof, a sign that they could believe and have confidence in him. But guess what? If you don't want to believe, you won't believe, you won't see it. Even Jesus said at one point when he gave a story, he said, I could do a resurrection. There could be a man who could come back from the dead. He's talking to poor Lazarus who's in this, you know, this state and this, this rich guy who's down there. He says, I could raise from dead and, and go back and tell others and they still wouldn't believe. They have Jesus, the presence of God standing in front of them. And these were religious scholars who had studied. Many of them had memorized the whole Old Testament. Anybody done that here? Yet here's Jesus teaching like no other, doing good, loving all people, even as they said, doing miracles, and they still don't believe. They proudly stand back and say, prove it. And you may be in that place today. You may still be saying, yeah, prove it to me. Many years ago, when I was early in my seeking God stage, and I was looking, um, to trust and put faith in, in Jesus, I remember for a, for a while, I was kind of going, God, if you, if Jesus, if you just do this, then I'll believe. I, 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 for a long time, I, I wanted to see a sign, I wanted to see a wonder, so that, in a sense, I said, just prove it to me, and I remember going through that process, and some conviction happening in my heart, finally realizing, just how proud that was that I realized I either had to make a choice of will of belief because God won't be bullied into proving himself to anybody he treats you as a human being who has a will and you can choose to believe or not that's what faith is all about And I remember going through that process and and beginning to realize faith does not come by proof. Faith comes by hearing with a humble heart and hearing the word of God. And that's spoken to your being right now. In fact, right now, God might be speaking to your inner spirit saying, I'm calling you to believe. Be done with the prove-it days. In a sense, he says, you've seen enough. You've known enough. At this point, it's not a matter of proof. It's a matter of pride. Signs and wonders are evidence. And they don't create faith. They can lead you to point you to God and to Jesus, but you still have to choose with your will to submit yourself to him. It's, it's a simple statement. It's a basically a statement saying, I'm going to quit trusting in myself, which is pride, and I'm going to put my trust and confidence in you. And I'm going to begin to follow you. That's a heart of Humility. Signs and wonders also follow our faith, our step of faith. We expect, I, you know, I'm more kind of like, do it, and then I'll believe. You know, then, you know, give me the prompting, but God never does it that way. It doesn't work like that in the kingdom of God. He always says, I want you to trust and believe. As you trust and believe, then you will see. I bought those tickets to to Florida, I told you about, and I went all the way down there, minister called me, came back. I came back on that Wednesday, and it wasn't till Two and a half, really, on the third day, if you want to put it that way, that God provided and I saw His glory. Listen to this. The first few words of verse 51 are so important. He, this man took Jesus at His word and left, now listen to this, while He was on His way. I wonder about a mile or two into it, He's going, man, I don't know, maybe I wasn't forceful enough. I mean, I know He said my son would live, but really, I'm a big, I'm a big guy. I've got, you know, I'm a royal official and I got the money and I got the power. I could have, maybe I could have just, I should have commanded him. He's this whole way. He's walking, he's walking. He's he's 10 miles into it. He's 10 miles into taking him at his word and believing when the other direction he sees his servants. They see each other and they run toward him. Think about it. I think what is so interesting is that that God calls us to obedience, to walk, to trust, to be in faith, and you may be there right now, and in your mind you're getting all those doubts, and you say, but really God, really? And you're halfway there. One thing you need to realize, is you look in the word of God all the time, Um, God often works, he says, follow me, and then you will see me. Moses says, lift your staff, and then the 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 sea parts. Joshua gets to this flooded river, and he steps aside, and he's kind of going, let the staff, and nothing's parting, and God says, no, no, no. Different this time. I want you to take the leaders, get them all lined up, all the people, and they have to be. Now, we're talking in a flood river. I want them at least ankle deep in the water before it parts. And then he gets even harder with Joshua. He says, you know Joshua, I know there's this big city. It's called Jericho and no one can defeat it. It's unbelievable. Yes, here's the plan. Walk around it seven times. I bet you the third time they're walking around and going, we're dead meat. As soon as they choose to get us, we're done. You will have to walk out in faith what God's placed in your heart you will have to walk in obedient trust you will have to at times pray it out in faith in order to see it to completion and and here's what's so cool about John chapter uh, 4 verses 52 and 53 it says when he inquired as to the time when his son got better they said to him the fever left him yesterday at the 7th hour that wasn't a mistake it wasn't 1pm it was our time 1pm it was the 7th hour it's John's way of pointing out the fact that he will stretch your faith to the point where you go, I can't do it anymore. I'm like just sitting at the weights. Ah, that's it. And then he kind of comes in and helps you out. It's his combination of the fullness of what he wants you to do to stretch in faith so that you grow along with what is called his appointed time, the seventh, and that completion when God brings together both your faith and what he's appointed to happen. And when it happens, God shows up. And he will do that. And our faith allows others to see Jesus. That's what you're all about. You're a sign you know that you're know, you a sign everywhere you go at home with those you live with where you work you're a sign of the activity of God in your heart because you have the Holy Spirit in you you will point to Jesus your life and your work will cause people to wonder and ask what's up why the hope how'd this happen verse 53 listen to what happens here John writes how this impacted all those who were close to the royal official. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believe. The entire purpose of this gospel is to see Jesus for who he is and to trust him and have confidence. Right now, whatever it is going on in your life is to say, I'm going to put my confidence in you. I'm going to walk this out. I'm going to trust you. You have an appointed hour. Because Jesus is the sign that points to God. He's the cause of wonder. He will work in your work situation, he works in your heart to bring about grace during difficult times. That's all that's a sign and a work of God. Be amazed with Jesus. And he still will amaze you with works. Listen to verse 54, and we'll conclude with this. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. And what I find interesting is that the first miraculous sign was performed in Cana, now the second one is performed in Cana. Probably in an environment of belief because of what had already happened there. I think God loves to work. That's why sometimes Jesus would go, Peter, James, and John, you guys come with me. Everybody else out. I need people who have hope in life. And yet the actual healing happens 20 miles away in Capernaum. There's nothing too big for God. Distance doesn't create a problem for the things you're praying for. Hear that again. Distance does not create a problem for God when he calls you to pray for that. And here's what I think is cool. The Holy Spirit is tilling the soil of people's hearts through this miracle. He's already starting to build a culture of faith, hope, and life in Capernaum. Here back in Capernaum, the royal official's son, who is probably well known, and they're telling everybody, and eventually Jesus comes back there, and guess where his headquarters is? It's Capernaum. Because faith causes other people to see. Jesus and that's what these signs are for I'm going to ask the the team to come forward I'm just going to share with you one last thing I don't know what God is calling you this morning and what his work is in your heart but God worked in my heart last week I got done preaching and um, and some of you were here if you weren't here you can see it on live stream but Garfield where is Garfield back here Um, came up and uh, let after a powerful service, someone told me, it's like the cherry on top of the cake. I had this powerful time of prayer for me and for my wife. And on Monday, and, and, and people don't realize, um, I didn't even realize the courageous step that was for Garfield to do that, to release God in a whole people's lives through prayer. I mean, he could have just said, yeah, that's okay, I'm not going to do it. But He did. And that work did the work in me. And Monday I'm sitting with my wife and she shares with me, Kevin, you know, I was surprised you didn't come up and just grab Garfield and hug him and and share with the congregation how much you love them. And, And I said, well, that's part of my work because it was hard for me. I, I kind of felt myself kind of almost disassociated, not want to almost be present, and so I actually went back and watched it and was just moved by it and and then called Garfield and just thanked him for his work and I thank you for that and just share it with you i 'm walking this journey with you Jesus is teaching me just like he 's teaching you and uh, and that was such a a cool moment and Then the next day after I did all that, someone forces me in a prayer group to watch it for another time and says, just sit. And didn't have any idea all this was going on. And said, and I just want us to sit for 30 seconds and, and, and just be present with that. I'm going, oh, okay. I just say thank you for taking that step of faith, and I pray more and more people will step in faith, that you will let the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you, because seriously, if we're going to see what it means to serve this community around us, it's going to be people who are walking this walk in faith Living with a naturally supernatural Jesus. Doing the works he needs to do. We're not going to put our own little frame on what it should look like. God will do what he needs to do if we're obedient. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to just sing this song in closing.